Hey, and welcome to episode 9 of Breaking Out the Podcast. I'm Jason Naylor. Great to have you along. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. What you been up to? What you been creating? Building anything cool? As usual, I'd love to know what you're doing, so hit me up. Let me know what's happening in your world. I've had a challenging couple of weeks just trying to get back into my routine, find my rhythm, actually start producing and creating and getting on with some work. Hasn't been easy, but I think I'm getting there. I'm definitely still in holiday mode somewhat, though. I've got a couple of cool things going on. I've got this new sort of idea slash business venture that I'm quite keen on kicking into pretty soon, so watch the space for that. And I've got a creative project that it's been lingering for a year or two, and I just realised that I'm procrastinating. I'm putting it off, and you know why I'm doing that? Because I'm waiting for that right time. I'm waiting for that perfect moment. And that never happens. We all know that. So I've realised I just need to just make a start in it. So I've got a fresh notebook. I'm just about to start scribbling some ideas for it, see how it all starts coming together. I'm telling you this because I think accountability is really important. So by putting this out there, by sharing this with the world, I'm hoping that holds me accountable. We'll check in in a few weeks, few months, we'll see. Have you ever had anyone cry in front of you as you create, as your art starts to take shape? In a time when me, as a photographer, and all of you out there, can create images, photographs, within seconds... Today's guest works at a slightly different pace. He's created thousands of images in his career, rather than thousands in a single day. When an image might take you a second to produce, an image takes him minutes to produce. And actually, when you understand his creative process, it actually takes him days or weeks to pull together a single image. How many of you have felt sick of your creative output? Burnt out or just completely over it? I'm going to be honest, I'm going to put my hand up and say, yeah, I've experienced that a number of times. Today's guest told me, following this interview, that he's never felt that way about photography. He's never felt at the end of his tether. He's never wanted to give up photography. Today's guest is photographer Paul Olsop. Throughout this interview, you'll hear Paul's absolute passion for the craft of photography. Paul is as much a scientist as he is an artist. But as the interview progresses, we start talking about creating money from his art. And that's where things get really, really interesting. And at the risk of me putting words in his mouth, I think we both reached the same conclusion. There's quite possibly a really huge overarching reason why his passion for image making hasn't waned, why it's as strong as ever. So listen in today to find out why. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Alsop. I'm sitting here today, this evening, on Papamoa Beach, and I'm sitting here with Paul Alsop yep. from Newcastle yep. in the United Kingdom but a relatively recent but permanent resident of New Zealand these days, right? Yep. How are you? Good, thank you. Fantastic. Welcome to, welcome to the combi. Thanks, thanks for having me along. And welcome to the podcast. Thanks for This is my first podcast ever. Is it? Yeah. You've been interviewed plenty of times. Yep. Is that, is that, was that a, like a written response? Yep. Right. Oh, telephone calls, those sorts of things, but uh, this is my first ever podcast. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, well, welcome, welcome aboard. Thank you. And I'm super, super excited to hear about your journey here today. As you know, the breaking up the podcast is about two things I like to say it's about, is about creativity and commerce, mm. making art, making money, yep. art, and finding an audience with your art. And most of the time, I just generally try, try to talk a little bit more about the actual creativity, because that's what I'm really interested in. Yeah. But where we can, where there's some sort of really interesting business thing going on, or where there's where there's money, or where there's not money, we'll talk about that as well. So mm. we're going to talk about your journey here today. So for those who don't know Paul, Paul is a photographer. I've said it before, and I've said pretty um, outwardly that I don't actually want to interview that many photographers. Mm. And I don't want to interview that many photographers because I kind of understand how they work. 
I understand how the wedding photography industry works. I'm not saying I couldn't learn something new from someone, but I generally get it right. I get how they make money. I get how the business model works. Same with portraits. What you're doing is none of those. Mm. You're creating images, Mm. but you are operating in a completely different market and Mm. completely different model. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what you are producing these days. Okay. Uh, so um, I am a wet plate Claudian portrait photographer, um, and I'm making tin types and amber types, uh, which are images that are produced from uh, images that were um, designed, I guess, or evolved from 1851, and probably were ongoing um, the way of making images until about um, 1890s. Then it was replaced by dry plate photography. This is um, 170 years ago. Yeah. One of the earliest forms of photography. Yeah, so it, uh, technically it's the third oldest form of photography. So um, the two oldest forms of photography being um, the daguerreotype and the talbotype or the calotype. Um, those um, one, the daguerreotype, is an image that's made on highly polished copper, developed with mercury vapor, um, and you get a single image which is sharp as a tack. And the calotype or talbotype was um, pioneered by an Englishman, William Henry Fox Talbot. Uh, 1839, I think it was. Um, and these two guys, um, Louis Daguerre, Frenchman, um, Daguerreotype, uh, Fox Talbot, the Talbotype, um, essentially raced to fix the shadows. So before these guys came along, um, there was, the, uh, photographers were able to make images, but they couldn't fix them. So they would, um, make an image on a photosensitive something or other. And then the image would disappear over time. Right. So these two guys, Daguerre and Talbot, they actually, um, totally independent of each other, um, fixed the shadows and they were the first two types of photography. And the, essentially, um, 1839 is the, the ballpark figure when that sort of photography right. was occurring. And then after that is the wet plate colonial, um, process. And you were telling me before that you wanted to go back further and you wanted to create daguerreotypes, daguerreotypes yeah, yeah. and realize that actually there's hazardous reasons why you shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. This is the reason why I'm here with the wet play process is because of um, the, the desire to make super sharp, one-of-a-kind images. Um, and it was actually um, a diptych from a guy called Chuck Close, uh, who's an artist in the States, um, and he made uh, a, a diptych of Kate Moss. It was a, a new diptych of Kate Moss and it was just beautiful. Um, it was just warts and all, like you could see every pore on her face, every hair on her body. It was just beautiful. And I, I saw that I was making, um, film images at the time, working with, um, taught myself how to make film, uh, images. And uh, you just couldn't get that with 35 millimeter or even, uh, medium format cameras. Um, so I, when I saw that, I was like, right, I want to do what that guy's doing. Wow. Uh, that one image yeah. has just completely changed, altered yep. your path. Yep. One single photo. And it happened to be a nude image of Kate Moss. (laughs) (laughs) Probably changed a lot of people's lives in different ways, right? But Wow, that's fantastic. Mm. And so you explored those other types, realized that those were, they were too hazardous to your health, settled on tin types. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the daguerreotype process uses mercury vapor and, uh, mercury, um, vaporized is not good for your health. Um, it's, it's cause of mercury poison, of course, and, uh, that can, either lead to death or make you go insane. It was the cause of Mad Hatter's disease, um, which um, the Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter guy is based on that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, highly toxic. So I went down that route and I thought I actually value my life too much um, and went further into photography and research. It actually got me to um, look at the history of photography, which is a great thing, because before that I knew how a camera worked, I'd look at the technicalities. And that's a beautiful thing about photography, so multifaceted and, and multidimensional 
that uh, you can go down whatever route you want. You know, you can be a, a digital sports photographer through to um, fine art photographer, and or you can be an art historian looking at the history of photography or the chemistry of photography. So it actually took me down another limb of photography, which I wasn't really that aware of. Um, took me back to look at the history of photography, and um, which is super, super interesting. And it's crazy to think that it's only been around since 1839. I mean, what all those images that have been lost and those moments that have been lost before 1839. It's yeah, just crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So what you're saying there, uh, I, I sort of talked about this process being 170 years old, being quite mm. old. Mm. What you're saying is actually, no, that's that's young mm. because obviously humans have been around and, and life has, has spanned a far yeah. greater length of time than that. Yeah. Think about what hasn't been captured. Absolutely. It's just that, well, that blows my mind. And it, what blows my mind is that um, before photography, um, there was portrait paintings. And you yeah. know it was only the wealthy and the rich that could have the form of portrait paintings. So yeah. um, as time's gone by... Um, all these likenesses, the generational likenesses for people who couldn't afford to have the portraits painted, um, has been lost. So generations and generations of faces have been lost to nobody would ever know what they look like. Absolutely. And even still when tintypes and ambrotypes and, uh, daguerreotypes came around, initially it was only the wealthy that could afford to have their tintype taken. Um, and to be fair, even today it might be the same, but we'll get mm, to that. Mm. So th I've had the pleasure and privilege of being shown through your process. Mm. I've seen your caravan. Yeah. I've seen sort of what you do, how it works. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is audio. So can you take us on like a, a, a few-minute journey of the process of creating a tintype? Yeah, for sure. This is probably why I go into autopilot a little bit because sure. that's what happens to me when I go into, when I start to create tintypes. It's just like second nature. But this is autopilot for you? Yeah. How many do you think yeah. you've created over the years? Far out. Like, uh, I've lost count. I don't know. Like, it's going to be thousands. It's going to be yeah, thousands, thousands of these yeah, you've created. yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is interesting when you think about scale because I, I could create thousands of images in a day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And you've created thousands of these thousands of these in your career. Yeah. Yeah. But the process involved is so unbelievably different. Yeah. So much lengthier, so much more involved. So take us through yeah. it. So basically you start off with um a substrate, so something you're gonna make an image on. So um you've got two things you can make. You can make an amber type, which is made on glass, or you can make a tin type, which is made on metal. And the metal is um it's got a a black coating to it so you start off with the substrate you pour a chemical called collodion on it um, and uh, the chemicals are quite a sticky viscous fluid that you pour onto the plate and it's all hand controlled so you're holding the plate in one hand balance balance it balancing it on uh, with your left hand saying so you're pouring the chemical on with your right hand and you just flow this collodion around the around the plate um, and that's the start of making the image. So you're flowing the, 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 uh, the collodion around the plate. The collodion itself is quite hazardous. So it's, um, gun cotton, um, dissolved in alcohol and ether. So it's a highly explosive chemical in itself. Um, and yeah, you've got, um, like 100% alcohol in there. And the ether, um, part of it is an anesthetic. So you find that, you know, if you hang around the chemicals for too long, you get higher and higher as the day goes on. Yeah, images get more and more abstract as the day <laughs> goes on. Um, and yeah, you get partially anesthetized, which is interesting. Oh, right. Um, so that you're doing that. Um, so you're pouring the, the chemical on the plate. You're flowing the, the, the chemical around the plate. So at this point in time, you're committed to making an image right from, from that point. If the plate dries out at any point between pouring the image, uh, pouring the clothing onto the plate, um, through to the developing, then um, the image is ruined. It just won't come out if it dries out at all in that t period of time. The next step is to take that dripping wet plate, 
let it dry slightly, uh, and you dip it into a silver tank. Um, so this tank is full of um, silver nitrate, um, zero, uh, 9% silver nitrate, which uh, is quite caustic. So if you get it in your eye, you go blind. Um, it can burn skin. Um, probably not at 9%, but the stronger concentrations, it can burn your skin. Um, you feel it anyway. Right? Yeah, You'd especially it. if you get it in your eye. It's, yeah. it's pretty dangerous stuff to get in your yeah. eyes. Um, so you drop that in, you, you drop the plate that you've just um, poured the chlorine onto into the silver bath. And it sits in there and it reacts with some of the um, the salts that you've got and you've made the chlorine up with. So the chlorine is not only gun cotton and um, dissolved in alcohol and ether, it's also, um, it's got like heavy metals in there. So some of the heavy metals that you use, like cadmium bromide is one of them, um, is quite toxic and can be a carcinogen. So uh, yeah, you've got to be a bit careful about using that stuff. Um, wow. So anyway, you've, you've got the, um, the chlorine liquid that's flowed onto the plate. Um, you dip it into this liquid silver bath. Um, and then it's lights out or you're under the red lights because what's happening in the bath is you're starting to develop your, to make your own film. So there's a chemical reaction. You're essentially making silver halide. Um, it's the silver halide that's, um, the photosensitive stuff. Um, when I say photosensitive, it's very, very photo insensitive. So for, like, for people who know much, that much about photography, it's got an ISO of about 0 0.5 to 1, which is super, super slow film. 0 0.5 to 1, whereas yeah. a standard film might be 200 or 400. Yeah, 400. 400. I, I would say, yeah, yeah. standard film speed 400. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's just crazy, crazy slow. So pe people talk about, um, let's imagine you're loading a film camera and you cannot expose it to sunlight or any light, right? Yeah. But with something that's at 0 0.5 or 1, actually, if you get a bit of light on that, it's probably not going to impact the image too no, much. No, that's right, yeah. I mean, yep. you, you can you can probably, um, like, when you're making the image uh, or pouring the plate, you can probably, like, um, have enough light around to read a newspaper, say. Like, you can let that much light in. It's not going to be a major deal if you've got a bit of a light leak, whereas with film, speed of 400, you're in trouble. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you dip this uh, the, the, the plate into the silver nitrate bath. The chemical reaction occurs with about three minutes. Um, and then you've got your film. So what happens is you take the glass plate that's dripping in liquid silver now, and you drop it into the back of a large format um, plate holder, um, some of which I've made myself. Um, some of which are commercially available. Um, you take that plate that's got the wet plate inside of it and you um, put it in the back of the large format camera and uh, then you're ready to go basically. So you're ready to um, expose the image. Um, so you've got this dripping wet plate in the back of the camera. You've got a subject, whether it be a landscape, which is unusual for me, or a portrait, which is usual for me, um, with the light set up, waiting to have the light bounced off their face. Um, the uh, the light hits their face um, to to light them up, of course, and you take the dark side at the back of the large format um, plate holder. You expose them to light. From from me, it's I use um, very powerful studio strobes. Um, light bounces off their face, cause uh, reflects back onto this wet plate, causes a chemical reaction, which causes the highlights to occur. Um, not directly. Um, you've got a latent image at this point. There's nothing on the plate. You can't see anything on the plate. Um, and then you take the plate back into the dark room. Um, and then develop it, and then the image appears right in front of your eyes. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. In a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, great. People, and, and people have written books on it, and uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. You could run workshops on anything. And you were telling me before of a story of a gentleman who who was with you in this process, and who accompanied you into the dark room and saw the image appearing and actually started crying. Yeah, that's the right. Yeah, of what was yeah, happening in front yeah. Of him. It's, you get quite a lot of um, emotion when it comes to when people see the images developing. People see all sorts of different things. Eh, like I think it's probably part of the process. But lots of people see themselves, uh, see their ancestors in themselves. I've, I've heard a lot of people say, Craig, yeah, I look like my grandmother when she was younger, or the images that I've seen of my grandmother when she was younger. 
um, some of them, which might have been like you know, great grandparents, they might have even been tintypes or um, amber types back yeah. in the day. Um, and some people um, are just blown away that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you've mixed all these chemicals uh, and you've bounced some light off the face, and then they've just got the image appearing. It's like it's the earliest form of Polaroid, essentially, is what it is. It's magical, um, isn't it's it? Black and white, yeah, yeah but I've, I've I've seen people sort of giggle in glee or be a little bit excited by an image on the back of a camera, right, on the LCD. Yeah, yeah. But I've never heard people reacting like the way you're telling me yeah, they are. Yeah, I've heard quite a lot of expletives in my time, so uh-huh. the, the f bombs drop quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> and, and it kind of a long drawn of uh, like a kind yeah, of, yeah. And I, I've made, uh, well, I haven't made it. I've, uh, the process has made. A few people cry with um, with joy, I guess, or with yep. I don't know wonder. I don't know what what they cry. You know what? I've tried to create some great images in my time, and I've never had anyone cry at the back of my camera. <laughs> so that is quite something. That that's a, that's a good thing and a bad. That's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. The, the people crying at your images not as a, not as a good thing. <laughs> in your case, I think it sounds like it is a good thing. Yeah. One of the things that fascinates me about this process and. That whole process is the creation of an image, which for us has been distilled down these days in, in a modern digital camera yep. with a whole lot of technology, mm. and it just happens inside the back of this camera, right? Yeah. Yep. You've so many of these things are still so organic. There's so mm. many variables at play mm. here in this whole process yep. that there's absolutely no guarantee. So when we press a button on our phone or on our camera these days, mm. we pretty much know what we're going to get, right? Mm. You're, you're essentially getting what Samsung or uh, Canon or Fuji are telling you that you want you to get. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Or what the pro- the program the cameras to do to a certain degree, and I, I understand that uh, you've got massive amounts of creative control with yep. raw images and stuff like but that. But you've got a whole nother level here, right? Mm. And even with the thousands of images that you've created you're guaranteed that you're never going to create something similar again yeah even with all of all of the variables that you could control under your control you'd never be able to create two of the same images again i've tried even photographing an apple like still life you take life, two photographs yeah. of apple same light same apple uh, same exposure time and you get something that changes a little bit whether it be an artifact that drops in the plate a bit of dust that gets in the way or whatever and you just got to live with it and and the length of time obviously yeah. between these with all these processes as well everything yeah, yeah. isn't that amazing yeah i love that i, I love that i really really yeah. do you talk about only really been two materials that you or two substrates you could use the mm. glass and the metal yeah is that it? is there anything else um oh I, you can use anything really that you don't mind having an explosive chemical poured onto you and um have an image on it i guess like i've used i had a samsung s3 i think it was and i coated that in the the collodion the back of that in the collodion which is just like a plastic or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then I exposed a digital image onto the back of that through the wet plate coating process and ended up with a, I guess, cell phone type or something. I don't know what it is <laughs> to make it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then so I was walking around with, it was actually a picture of my feet with um, silver stains on them as a digital image. Uh, and I projected that through a projector. It's, it's, it's difficult to imagine. So I, um, a darkroom projector, I slid the iPhone into the negative carrier which enlarged the um, digital image through the lens onto the back of my phone that was projecting the image so I took the back of the cracked the back of the phone off slid that underneath and the phone projected the image on the the digital image on the back wow. of the yeah. yeah and then I ended up with a, an image on the back of the, the phone I'm struggling to follow along yeah, here yeah. and he's uh, describing it yeah. to me so I'm not yeah. sure that anyone else gets it but yeah, yeah. that's amazing yeah did that work well yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Like, yeah. I had, I had a, an image of my feet with silver nitrate stained, splashed in the back of my phone in silver nitrate. So it was, it was interesting. So you can use anything, but I guess um, the, the characteristic things or the, the things that you should 
used really um, and tried and tested is the glass or the blackened metal. Sure, mm. sure. One of the things that you spoke of really, really briefly during that was the fact was light. Mm. Because you've got this really light insensitive film, mm. um, and if we think what we know about the way they used to do these in the old days is they would have the subject sit still for number of seconds. Mm. So when we can expose uh, an image in one 500th mm, of a second crazy, or yeah, these days, yeah, right, in yeah. sunlight, you're talking about 5, 10, 20 seconds. Yep. That's how much light you need. Yep. What you're doing a little bit differently mm. is you're bringing some modern technology to the game here, yep. right? Yep. You're bringing strobes. Yep. You're bringing powered light yep. into the game. Yep. And how's that working for you? What are you doing there? Is that, oh, is that... that was a game changer eh, for me. Like I was getting really frustrated blurry images and even the best sitter who could sit still for the um, you know, the, the 15 to 20 seconds it takes for light to bounce off someone's face and then gently build an image up on the back of the plate. Even the best statue would move a little bit and you'd end up with a bit of a blur in the image and you couldn't, like, you couldn't tailor the light very well either. Um, so you're either, you're either reducing your exposure time and you're shooting in direct sunlight, which is harsh, ugly, middle of the day light, or you and you're getting the exposure times in that sort of light of around about, you know, like probably five to seven seconds. Still five to seven seconds, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like middle of the day sun, or ugly middle of the day sun. Or you, yeah. or you diffuse it, um, or open shade, and then you're looking probably about fifteen to twenty seconds, which is a, a more pretty light. But then you get the blurry images. So I was getting super frustrated by that, and that actually, like that actually, that made me just jack it all in. I was thinking about do I want to do um still life, and oh, I tried still life. I'm not very good at still life. Um, and uh, yeah, I just in, I just enjoy portraits. Um, and then. Um, I was just really trying to see what we could do and I needed to get so much light um, to light up this plate um, and the only place that um, I knew that had that amount of light was King Size Studios up in Auckland so I contacted um, I contacted Luke White of King Size Studios and uh, he invited me up for a bit of testing so he'd actually also done a um, done a, a similar workshop that I'd done down in Wellington yeah, and he, right. he and like, I was I, I sent him the email and I said uh, hey look uh, my name's Paul blah 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 I live in Thames at the time um, I've got this crazy process called the wet plate clothing process and I'm really struggling to light it you guys have got tons and tons of uh, of strobes up there um do you mind if you could help me out with some advice or something and he was totally onto it he loved it eh? and he invited me up and yeah we made uh we made probably the first strobe image in new zealand possibly ever maybe because yeah. like the, yeah, back in the day um they weren't using strobes um no they in the modern strobes so we, we we lined up a whole bunch of bronze color packs and yeah so back in the day no one would have been using that light and then no one's really been creating these images yeah apart from this one gentleman brian is it yeah. brian down yeah. in wired upper yeah. yeah hardly anyone's been creating these images yeah since then yeah and then we took it to the, the level of using the strobe because like, luke's a genius he just sees in light he's he, that's what he does he's he, he t talks of himself as a physics guy right and uh, he just loves light and subjects and he loves light um, so he was onto it from that point of view, and we added the chemistry side, he did the light side, and we, we created some images of the king size staff at the time, and we were just blown away. I, I think I nearly cried actually at that time. It was so emotional. It was great. Game it was, changer. Yeah, it was a game changer. Yeah. Um, the problem for me at that time was it was money. It was the fact that I couldn't afford these broncolor packs, of which one costs the same as a family car, like twenty three grand or something for a broncolor pack, wow. and then you got the heads. Whereas King Size, um, being a studio, a commercial studio, um, clearly have the luxury of that. I was in Thames at the time. Luke was in Auckland, so I really struggled to go backwards and forwards to to, to make to make images because it's a total nightmare to get backwards and forwards to Auckland at the best of times. Sure. Never mind with a whole car full of explosive chemicals. Sure. <laughs> uh, and 
and um so i had to look into other ways of um getting studio packs and the only way that i could do it is to look on trade me for all pros breaking down the gears like so the old gear so i've got a um a couple of ellen chrome packs and um some old bones packs from like the 70s the 70s yeah, yeah right and this this is from a guy who was um he was an uh, a product photographer he needed that much light um as an old pro who was using film um, but now clearly digital imagery is so sensitive that you just don't need that amount of light. And that's one of the key things there is that the, the amount of light that you need for this isn't really provided by modern packs unless you that's buy right. those $20,000 packs. Yeah. Yeah. But in the 70s they did. A yeah. whole lot of people getting rid of that gear, so yeah. it actually worked out quite well for you. Yeah, it worked out well for me. The only yeah. issue is that once they go kaput, then um, you've really got to, you really struggle to get them fixed. No chance. There's yeah. one guy down in Christchurch that might be able to fix them. Um, and yeah, they're pretty much a write-off once, once they go back. So you could be solving this problem again sometime soon, but yeah. at the moment it's working for you. Yeah, I'm stockpiling. Um, <laughs> I'm stockpiling old large packs. So if anyone's got any old large packs, three K and above, I'm, I'm open to offers. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and and so what what bringing your own light to the show does is it does a few things. First of all, it shortens your exposure time. Yeah. So it brings it down to just a, a one second or half yep. a second or yep. actually just the length of time that the, the flash fires yep. for. Yeah, so a millisecond of, yeah. the, of the flash going off. Okay, so yep. it's instantaneous is what it is. That allows you to get around the movement issue. Yeah. Um, and you, and you get beautifully sharp images, yep. which I've seen, and they yep. really, really are. Yep. And secondly, and I think maybe this excites you a little bit more, is that you get to shape the light. Yeah, that, that's for me. That's that, that's um, So the finding the um, studio packs is was a game changer, being able to technically do it. But as you know, photography is not all about technicalities it's a small percentage of what makes a beautiful photograph is yeah. the technical side of things yeah. and um yeah what i've learned um self-taught what i've learned from luke um is how to, how to shape light i'm still learning i'll be learning every single day absolutely we are um, all are right yeah. and that's what you're playing with yeah. you're playing with you're playing with light shaping like we all do yeah. and you're playing with it with tin types yeah yeah rather than digis or whatever yeah. we're, we're creating yeah and the, the the thing that the game changer for me was the ability to modify the light so having modifiers whether i build the modifiers myself or whether i just pick up old bones modifiers soft boxes snoots grids those sorts of things and just learning how to put light on a face basically it's uh it's great that's what excites me the most fantastic yeah. Yeah. you are um, a real craftsman you are creating you've created a lot of this gear that you're using you're creating film essentially mm. you're creating cam cameras mm. you are creating light modifiers yeah. um that's obviously a huge part of what you love as well mm. this is you isn't yeah it, it is there it's just like um I wouldn't say I'm a problem solver, but uh, I like to solve problems. I guess like everything that I've everything that I've done, like so far, I've come across a hurdle, and I've had to get to. I've just got to have to. I've had to get through the um, through the the barrier or the hurdle, get over the hurdle. Um, and there's just been so many hurdles for me going along. Like the first thing was, all right, so I need a large format camera. So there's no large format cameras in New Zealand on trade me, or very few. Um, so what do I have to do? Okay, I have to build a camera. Build a camera. Uh, yeah. So how do I build a camera? I've got no idea. Like, let's look at some more textbooks. This is how you build a camera. Okay, get some wood. Okay, I've failed woodwork at school. Go and get someone that can help me cut woods and wood into thin strips. Did that, and then I basically just glue clamped and glue clamped and glue clamped until I got something that looked like an old style bellows camera, and it worked. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I started creating tin types on a homemade camera. Um, it was an eleven by eleven inch. Um, mahogany and brass camera that I just kind of knocked together. Are you in... still using a, a homemade one now, or have you yeah, got... to a certain degree, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the bigger plates, I'd use that one. Um, I've since acquired a um, 
a, a, a one from the 70s a studio large format camera from the 70s um but yeah that that was one of the big things that was a hurdle like what's the next hurdle after that how do you how do you do the process well you know you've got to go and find out how to do the process and then how do you tweak the process etc etc so it's it's just hurdle after hurdle like one of the big things just recently or well seriously three years ago was um we were renting down here in Papamore and uh I fortunately owned my own house when I was up in Thames on the Coromandel and um my studio slash um darkroom slash garage was all the same area um and I just spilt so much silver on the floor it was probably the most expensive garage floor in New Zealand because silver is really expensive right like and it's liquid silver um so just ridiculous. lost on the floor yeah like just and, and the floor in itself the garage floor is a work of art it's beautiful like <laughs> splatters are it's like yeah it's, it's some sort of modern art uh but then moving to a rental property splashing that silver around making permanent stains you would never get your bond back so to get around that right what do i do do i do i convert a container do i drop a container into the section and um turn that into a, a workshop or um, that's why I kept with the idea of a caravan. That's where a caravan. the caravan came yeah. from, right? Yeah, it it was, was just a cool idea. It was yeah, actually solving a problem. Necessity, yeah. Necessity, How do you get yeah. this out of your yeah. rented garage? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the so the dark the dark room or the caravan became the dark room. Yeah. That's what it was bought for. And yeah. the caravan is beautiful, and it's parked beside his new house, and you walk in there, and there's recipe uh, recipes. Is that the right word? There's recipes mm, on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a fridge full of collodion yeah. there's chemicals there's mixing trays mm. there's sliders there's all sorts of things in mm. there. it's just fantastic mm. it's like a little wee laboratory yeah it really it, is it didn't come like that it was it was renovated to be like that. and again having failed woodwork at school the benches are not very straight in there they all work you know I, it was just necessity that I, I came across one hurdle and i had to um come over overcome that hurdle to learn how to um, wire 12 volt into a caravan so i could have off the grid power um and yeah just learn about caravans the most i said before about photography being a a multifaceted or multi-dimensional thing i've often reflected on that when i'm standing in a caravan shop like i was thinking to myself right do i need the blue holes or do i need the red holes or do i need the gray water holes great gray, gray waste holes and i'm standing there thinking why on earth i'm in a caravan shop look thinking about this and it's all because of photography photography yeah, it gets it takes me you to a caravan shop it gets you some weird places eh? it gives me some real weird places <laughs> great places though mm. <laughs> yeah mm. you talked you have actually spoken to me about some of those hurdles have almost been too big to overcome mm. there have been a couple of times is that right? Where you've almost just wanted to pack it in? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a fair few of those frustrations. Yeah, and it's just like when you when nothing's working for you. It it can it. I guess it's um it's not just um specific to wet plate clothing. Although the chemistry part is when the chemistry is not working, but it's often like uh creative you know you can't think of something to do like you just can't get an idea of a reason to make images or you you, f you struggle to find people to work with to collaborate with um and yeah i guess it's just the fragility of of art i guess you know those those aspects um that's made me feel like chucking and thinking is this just too much like and then there's the also the financial aspects of it as well which is um often uh yeah it's like a it's like a black hole yeah, yeah. and I, re I really do want to get to that but mm. i do actually just want to talk you just mentioned um i want to talk about the process of you creating one of these images because you obviously you can't photograph apples or your kids all day long right mm. so you need mm. subjects so what yeah. you need is collaborations you yeah. need people to come yeah. on board and 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 be a subject for yeah. you yeah. and you just hinted at the, the way that you approach them it's not as simple for you as it's not as simple as, hey, come and sit in front of, of my camera and mm. I'll take an image of you. Mm. You put way more thought into mm. it than that. Mm. You're actually not just trying to perfect the art of making this image. You're actually trying to create something 
special and unique and one-off for that person as well. Yeah. You talked about crafting a mood board. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. And about actually yeah. coming up with an yeah. idea for a yeah. portrait, which is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, um, making a portrait starts like months and months in advance for me. So making one image in my head starts months and months in advance. Just think about this. One yeah. image yeah. is um, is multiple months yeah. of, of thinking and processing. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, it starts off with um, sometimes the uh, the story comes to me or the face comes to me first, and then I work around that. Or sometimes the the concept or the mood comes to me first, and then I find a face or a story to go behind it. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, once I've got an, an idea of what I want to do, then yeah, setting up a mood board. Pinterest is amazing for that, and yeah, I know lots and lots of people use Pinterest. Um, it's got its pros and its cons, but yeah, you can set up mood boards and you can share them with your, your potential sitters as well, see what they think, and they can join in and um, and feed in their ideas as well, which is great. Um, and my creativity or my portrait, the quality of my portraits and the quality of my subjects actually took off when I um, engaged in a creative co collaboration with a local artist. Tell um, me more about this. Yeah, so this is interesting. This is one of the things that has really kind of changed changed my workflow. So there's a local um, a local artist called Annie Furry, and she's a, um, she's a painter, um, and she was uh, working uh, for a local company um, doing digital images and a bit of commercial stuff, and she was helping out the photographer for that. And then she, um, I met her um, via that photographer who wanted to see my work, and she came along to have a little look at what I was doing as well. And I just thought, oh, this would be a match made in heaven here because she's got the his she's got the art history in her head, um, and also um, she's um, she's like a really nice person as well. She's a great uh, person to be around. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And her personality was um, was really nice. And I thought, right, this would be really. I need someone to help me here because I can't be doing everything. I can't be thinking about the chemistry all the time. I can't be interacting with the subjects. I can't be moving the lights. So I needed a, a creative collaborator and I, you know, struggle for ideas and stuff. Um, so Annie came along and, um, she started giving me a hand. And now pretty much I won't do a shoot without Annie because oh, she's, wow. uh, she's, she's just she's awesome, eh? Vital. Yeah. And she, she frees you up to think more about the chemistry and the lighting and those yeah. things. Yeah. And she thinks more about the, the, the look of the image. Is that right? To, to a certain degree, yeah. yeah. I, she, she Not does help that. me te uh, technically as well. Oh, um, but she's just got this massively creative mind and she's always we're, we're always going backwards and forwards about ideas of things that we can do and she'll she'll tell me about some art history concept that I've got no idea about and I'll go in research and have a look at it and then I'll start creating mood boards around that and she'll join in creating mood boards and stuff and it's the collaboration it's collaboration yeah, yeah, it really is yeah, isn't it yeah, yeah. You're, you're both contributing to this yeah. and what you're creating is better than the, the individual parts yeah. Yeah, yeah good old synergy yeah, yeah. I, I, I just want to reinforce um, for those who understand or even don't understand photography, how simple it is for us these days to have an idea and to basically, we don't even, we modern photography, we don't even need to think about the image creation at all. We pretty much just really need to point and shoot. Mm. Okay, if we're using an SLR, maybe we need to think about our exposure triangle. Mm. And just how much more involved the process is for you. Mm. And and when you talk about how your brain is just so connected to so many different parts of the process, how you were feeling overwhelmed or swamped mm. and just having someone here just to help with a little bit here a little yeah, bit there yeah, a little bit there yeah, has yeah. just freed you up yeah and so obviously that um technical chemical side of stuff is a little bit easier for you mm. now but but the, the the creativity is flowing better for you now. yeah absolutely yeah. and she's uh, she's an excellent soundboard for me like yeah. i'll put ideas to it and um 
she's she's not as blunt sometimes as I would like her to be. She's quite uh, constructive in her feedback. And sometimes you just need that like, kind of somebody to say, oh, no, that's crap. Don't no, do that. that's yeah, not good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah let's move on. Um, but uh, she's, she's always got constructive feedback for me. So that's that's really, really useful. And um, like being a female as well, like working with a female, if you've got female sitters and, you know, um, you've got somebody who's sitting um, in a certain position or a certain pose for their portrait and you need to do something like move a fly away from their hair or something or move a strap of the top or something like that, I find that very confrontational from a male perspective, especially, uh, you know, young females. If I'm to do that for, for young females, there's always that rule, never touch the model, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, sure. But the process is so much that... The the model can't really adjust herself because once she's in the plane of focus, everything's been set up. There's been so much effort to get the, the model or the subject into that particular position. And Anne is really good at And she self-confesses that she gets into people's personal space really well. Uh-huh. Um, so she'll get into someone's personal space and she'll move them around and, you know, together we'll create this image um, that we've been creating. So, yeah, it's, it's been really Amazing. Good. Together. Yeah. Collaboration. That is yeah. fantastic. And, and, that, and uh, you know, I've, I've heard you speak about collaboration as well with some of the um, other podcasts. And that's for me. That's been the game changer. And with Luke as well, Luke White, um, of King Size. Yeah, there you go. Actually, yeah. twenty minutes yeah. ago, we were just talking about how you yeah. connected with him, yeah. and that changed things for yeah. you. Yeah, here it is happening again. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, great. you know, I'm always, I'm always all eyes and all ears, looking for collaborations and those sorts of things. And uh, I think it's just a really healthy way of working together. Sure, there's nothing more unhealthy, in my opinion, than boxing yourself in and putting your elbows out and keeping people away because you've got this thing that you're working on. Yeah, you don't want anybody else to help you out with or collaborate with. We're actually sharing. It was they all added Sharon is Karen and uh, yeah when I when I hooked up with Luke we ended up doing um, we were still got this ongoing project called the Auckland project that we're working on so I it's will still ongoing now yeah, yeah yeah and it's just open ended really we'll just um, you'll give me a shout and I'll gather up all the gear in the back of the cars that up to Auckland uh, King Size Studios and uh, um, we'll make images um, we'll just nail about like I don't know 50 odd plates in a, oh, in a day and it's crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. Smash them out, yeah. great We've ended up with some really excellent images because, yeah, you, can, you know, the big studio modifiers, the good quality ones can give you some excellent images. Yeah, right. But, yeah, collaboration again. Working with other people, having other people around you mm. is a key thing. And let's now talk about actually what you do with your day. Mm. You have a job. You have a mm. nine-to-five. You're a GP, right? Yeah. Local GP. Mm. Yeah. And so that's how you fill your days. That's yep. how you fundamentally pay the bills. Yep. Yeah. 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 Here we go. Here's a weird question. But what does money mean to you? Ah. Oh. Uh, it's not the be all and end all of everything. Uh, it's certainly important. Like you know, you need to be able to put food on the table for your family. I'm the sole provider for my family, um, so the yeah, money means that my kids can like, put clothes on my kids. It, like my wife and I, um, you know, we've we've got we don't sh- go out and do any crazy shopping. I think we've got clothes that we landed in New Zealand in seven years ago. You know, we, we just we don't go out and buy stuff uh, extravagant stuff. Yeah, no. we basically just keep the kids going and pay the bills basically. Yeah. Um my wife is a physiotherapist um, uh, by trade, but at the moment she's been a stay-at-home mum for the past four years, um, looking after the kids, and that's yep. really important to me. That's more important to me than money. So, you know, yeah. we, we could be having her wage to help out, and we could be getting, I don't know, a new car or a new camera or something like that. But actually, her spending time with the children is more important to me than um, than, than not spending time with the children, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm in this massively, massively fortunate situation that my day-to-day bread um is not too bad so yeah. you know, it's not it's not what people think it is but it's certainly um the amount that i earn um it can help me do my um projects and my hobbies um you know 
um, without too much drama. Yeah. Mm. And I think one of the important things, though, is that you actually do love your day-to-day, don't you? You do love your job. Yeah, I do love my job. Yeah. yeah. I'm super privileged to be, in a, to, a fam- to be a family doctor. It's just, yeah, uh, there's just nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and you have this very distinct separation of, of, of your three facets to your life. Where you've mm. got your job. Yeah. Looking after your, your clients 15 minutes at a time all day long. Yeah. Coming home and spending time with your wife and your kids. Yeah. Your adorable kids. Yeah. And then your little photographic project yeah. that's going on in your yeah. garage slash yeah. caravan. Yeah. And that's where you divide your time between yeah. all those three. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes like, yeah, right, in a triangle. It just goes round and round in a triangle. Yeah. So if I'm not putting the kids to bed, reading the kids a story, or I'm at work seeing patients, I'm in the, the caravan darkroom mixing chemicals for the next photo shoot. Yeah. And then rinse and repeat. Back again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So have you, have you thought about, have you worked on, have you considered how... Because the thing with creating these tintypes is, unlike a digital camera, which I keep talking about, unlike the fact that every image effectively costs me nothing, yeah. these cost you money and yeah. a substantial amount of money. Yeah. The chemicals and the substrate yeah. are not cheap at all. Yeah. Um, can you put a, a figure on how much an image would cost? I've tried, eh? Yeah. I, I, and that's something I really struggle with. Yeah. Um, probably about, I think it was about three years ago down in Queenstown at the, um, there was a conference down there, the NZPB conference. Yeah. And I gave a talk on, um, the wet play process. And there was a chap there called Cohen Hebert. Yep. Who, um, he was essentially talking about how to manage your money. He was a Canadian chap and he gave some really useful information about how to manage your money. I came back totally motivated, said, right, this is going to be a business plan. This is what I'm going to do. I got all of the spreadsheets and tried to nail it down to how much my individual costs, how much each piece of silver costs, how much each piece of metal costs. Add in the factor of time and then add in the factor of, um, creativity on top of that. And yeah, I just can't make it. Couldn't even get a number. Yeah. If you're, if you're doing it like a, a production, you know, if I had a shop front, whereas there is a shop front actually. Oh no, sorry. There was a shop front in San Francisco doing just tin types. Right. So you could walk in, have your tin type, tin type photo booth, I think it was called actually. Tin type right. booth or something like that. Um, but they actually ran out of money in the end and had right. to close the doors. They, even they yeah. couldn't make yeah. enough money yeah. to, to yeah. pay for the costs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you, mm. it's, it's, it's a significant amount. I mean, it, it could be 50, it could be 100, it could be 200, but ultimately yeah. it's not a dollar. Yeah. It's and not it's not free. Yeah. So yeah. it costs you a huge amount of money yeah. to make this. And, you haven't figured out a way, we don't even know if there is a way, and these people in San Francisco prove that maybe there's not, mm, mm. of actually monetizing that to the point where it can yep. cover costs and pay you an income, right? That's right, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I could ever do that. I, I've, I've toyed with the idea, um, and yeah, what do you charge? I, I, I just don't know what to charge. You, you charge for the, for the ingredients? Do you charge for the silver? Do you charge for the metal that you put the image on? Do you charge for every pop of the flash? Do you charge for the months and months in advance that you're preparing the image for you, which is your time? Yep. How much are you worth? How much is your time worth? Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what it's worth. I've gone from, um, trying to do it like a bit of a, um, I, I set up a, um, a, like a, an antique car show thing. I set up my caravan, um, and tried to, um, I put a board outside X amount of money for tin types. Yeah. And, um, how'd that go down? Not very well. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was very well at all. People just weren't yeah. willing to pay for yeah. that. Cause Didn't it was understand. like, I think it was only about, I was putting like $40 or something for a tin type. Mm-hmm. And like, people were like, um, well, why is it not in color? <laughs> 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 or like, um, and people see the images and they say, oh, that's in the, in the Instagram filter you put over top of it. <laughs> yeah. And then I went the other end of the scale and I thought, right, come on. Um, also, you're an artist now. Um, I charge like an artist. And, um, put some work into an art show and yeah, absolutely no interest in that either. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 
So no, I've, no one to buy those. I've either. gone both yeah. ends of the of the scale, cheap, and I've gone expensive, charging for, hundreds or thousands yeah. or something yeah. like that, yeah. and, and nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess where I'm at at the moment is um, I'm making images, I'm making a few waves, um, and gaining reputation, I guess. So at some point in the future, it might be who knows that um, my name, people know my name, and they yeah. know what I do. And they're willing to come and pay X amount of money for something, but with regards to day to day food on the table for the kids, yeah, yeah it's um, it's not it's not it's not there. Hey, mm. speaking of um, making waves, speaking mm. of getting your name out there, speaking mm. of reputation, you have definitely been doing that, right? Because mm. we see your name pop up all over the place. Mm. You were telling me before about some caravan magazine in the UK. Yeah, yeah that's that right. We're talking yeah. to you, which yeah, sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah. But closer to home, yeah, you've appeared in. Uh, photography rags here in New Zealand. Yeah. And was it just last year where Capture Magazine... Oh, was this year? Just this this year, year? Yeah, yeah. Named you. Mm. Tell me the title that you got from this magazine. Uh, the, uh, the Capture Magazine Australian New Zealand Emerging Photographer for 2017. And Australia New Zealand. Get that right. See, yeah. Listen to that. Australia New Zealand Emerging Photographer of the Year. Mm. Right? So people are noticing this. People mm. are seeing what you're doing. People mm. are super impressed by what you're doing. What you're doing is unique. Mm. What you are creating is art. Mm. And you really are making waves, mm. as you put it. Mm. Um, so you're just hoping that maybe somewhere along the line things might. And and I think that's where, in my head, I'm, I'm sitting here wondering. I'm saying, you've got this, this beautiful life here, this fantastic family, mm. this job that you do like that actually does pay the bills, mm. and this fantastic project. And I'm all about projects. Mm. I love spending my evenings and my weekends tinkering on things, building things. Yeah. And there's always that risk that when something like that that you enjoy so much flips yep. and becomes something that Absolutely. actually could yep. provide for you yep. that it changes it yep. does that play on your mind yeah that's exactly what it is yeah yep. and that's you know i'm i've got uh, artistic license if you call it, or whatever you want to call it i've got the ability to uh, not be pressured to make images yeah um for my daily bread or the yeah. daily crust or whatever you just told me how you just haven't created an image in a couple of months because yeah. you went overseas and you're moving yeah and you know what that doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter now yeah, yeah it makes, other than yeah from a mental health of course of course <laughs> of course yeah, yeah. um but like yeah that's the great thing that um i do have the day job um and one of the things i hear photographers talk a lot about so I, i've I've got two brains. I've got the, the left brain, which is the science brain, which goes to work every day, nine to five, earns the money, and then um, that gets up at you know six o'clock in the morning and then starts to wind down around about, I don't know, six or seven o'clock at night, um, hopefully with a, a beer or something. And then around about nine o'clock, the right side of the brain wakes up and it's yeah. like, bing, and then that's, that's awake until about two o'clock in the morning, and right? I can't shut the thing up. Yeah. And, and what uh, does that right side of the brain do? What's it, that's what's all it the that's all the creativity coming out. So yeah. that's all the portrait ideas and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, um, so often I'm up until the ridiculous o'clock in the morning working on ideas for portraits, um, when I should be giving the left side of the brain a bit of a rest that it needs for the next day. <laughs> but yeah, it, it gives me the uh, the ability to um, to create images um what i was going to say was on that note was um that yeah i've got the i go to the medical conferences and all that stuff keep myself up to um best evidence with regards to medicine um but also i'm always got my finger in the pulse when it comes to what's happening in the photography world as well so i, I where i can i attend the conferences whether it be the nzipp conferences or the um the advertising conferences that up in oakland um and what i hear time and time again from the from the people who are talking to the photographers is to keep your um, your personal projects going, so to, to aid your um, professional work. I yeah. hear that time and time again. You've got to have your personal projects, otherwise your professional work will suffer, whether it be um, advertising, illustrative um, people in that field, or whether it be wedding photographers, portrait photographers. You've, you've 
it's your personal projects that actually drive your creativity and drive your um your your output i guess i hear that time and time again and that's all i've got so i've, I've only got personal projects that's what it is all the time for me so yeah. it's it's nice to not have that yep. that um need to put um like keep talking about bread i'm gonna have bread all the time but yeah <laughs> you know put put the food on the table yeah. for the kids it's, it's nice not to have that pressure um because yeah. i think if i was just go down the tin type route it would be, um, yeah, it would be not sustainable. Yeah. Um, and I would just give it up. I think. It would yeah. Just, it would just and you know in. what? I didn't know where this where this conversation was going to go. And I, mm. I think if I if I had guessed, I would have thought it would go in a slightly different direction. But I'm actually imagining a world here where, if you could um, monetize these tin types, mm. and you could create a couple every day, and they were thousands of dollars, and you could effectively replace your income, I'm not entirely sure that you would want to. Mm. I don't know. Maybe mm. the idea is inviting, yeah. but I think right now you quite enjoy the fact that you've got this beautiful little triangle and this balance, and you've got the two sides of your brain working differently, mm. and you just enjoy the creative freedom. Yeah. Have I put words in your mouth there? Or? No, I think you're along the right lines there. Yeah. I mean, certainly if someone wanted to buy, if I got into a situation where someone wanted to buy um, a portrait, and you know that could do me for half a year's wage, oh, I wouldn't uh, say no to that. Sure, one. sure, sure. But the, the, say th no. the yeah. thing about the monetizing, I'll put in the um, the the value on a tintype, um, it's actually really difficult to give these plates away because it's one of a kind. You end up with this image that's one of a kind that you can't replace. And it's like a photographer giving away his negatives. And yep. I learned that from, um, it was actually Luke again who told me that. Um, I was trying to put together, um, I, was, I was invited to do a commercial shoot, which I did. Um, and I was trying to put together how much it's going to cost. And I was, where do I start? I have no idea where to start. Um, and retrospectively, I went back to Luke and had a chat with him about, um, how much I should have charged maybe. Um, and I actually gave some of the plates away yeah. as part and parcel of the, um, of the commercial shoot, um, that I ended up doing. And I think it was like, well, you know, would a photographer give away his negatives? Cause once it's gone, it's gone. That's those images have gone now for me. I, I can never go back yeah. and, and see those again. I rescan because they're in the house. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So actually giving away the tin types, it's heartbreaking because I've, in these little plates that I make have got souls themselves and, and yeah. if I do promise someone I'll give them a tin type at the end of it I have to I cling on to it I really don't want to give it away at the end because <laughs> yeah. it's such a personal thing to me that I created and yeah. I'll give them no end of scans you know like sure. high resolution scans those sorts of things not the same thing as a tin type of course yeah. or, a, or an amber type but um, yeah I just I feel like a little piece of me died inside when I give away yeah, one of the tin types yeah. Pass that piece of, of aluminium over. Yeah. It's more than just a piece of aluminium, yeah. now, right? Yeah, it's somebody's it's soul. Yeah, it's somebody's. Yeah. Like, I've captured someone's. I know it sounds romantic and all that, but uh, it is actually essentially um, a piece of them um, that is on that plate. So photons have come from a light source, um, being in contact with a person's face, bounced off their face punched an image in the back of that plate and there's been some sort of physical or metaphysical um reaction that's occurred or contacts that's occurred with the person's face um and then yeah you get this one of a kind of thing which is beautiful more often than not it's beautiful um and to give that away you're either giving away your negatives or you're giving away part of your soul for how can you put a monetary value on that i struggle with that that is such a good way to wrap this up mm. Thank you, Paul. I think we're actually going to finish that right there cool. because you know what? The summary of all of this is we don't know that you you can, we can monetize this. Mm. This is just a beautiful personal project mm. where Paul is creating some amazing pieces of art and he doesn't want to physically give them away, so he's obviously got a stash of them in his house. Mm. Um, and we're thankful for the work that you do here. So I say keep it up. 
Thank you. I say keep it up. I will definitely try. Okay, good stuff. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to ask you just a couple of really really quick questions just to finish this interview as I need to do every time. Are you a music fan? Do you listen to a bit of music? Oh yeah, wide range of music. Yep. I'm not a musical though. No, that's all right. That's all right. Desert Island disc. One ah, disc right. that you would take to the Desert Island. Uh, Michael Jackson's bad. Well, good choice. Probably. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, a two-second decision went with that. I like it. Yeah. All right. Um, you got that one. What What have you? Again, this the answer to this could be super obvious, but I've had some really interesting responses. What have you created that you're most proud of? Oh, um, my family. Fantastic. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah, yeah, and that, you know, nothing you can do. You can create anything, any piece of art or any you know piece of scientific literature or whatever. Um, no, but you'd never be. You can't beat what you've created. Um, the living thing that is your family. Yeah, they get so much joy out of that. Beautiful. Yeah. And final question here, it's a multiple day road trip in the combi because this is a very, very slow vehicle. Mm. You're driving. Mm. Who's sitting next to you, alive or dead? Who would you like sitting next to you as your travel companion? Oh, far out. I haven't heard that one before. Um, am I let's say Michael Jackson again? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson sitting next to you, Michael Jackson on repeat on the stereo. Oh, probably someone like uh, probably someone like Robin Williams, you know, the uh, comedian. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably yeah. someone like that. Stoutfire, yeah. Yeah, or like Billy Billy Conley or some, someone like that. Yeah, uh-huh. like, just to hear. Actually, Billy Conley, that's called Billy Conley. Billy Conley, yeah. He's yep. awesome. I just love to hear his yarns. British dude who can just tell a good story for four or five days yeah, yeah, keep you entertained. Yeah. yeah. Great yeah. answer. Yeah. All right. It's getting really, really dark in the combi here. Speaking of creating images, I need to create an image of you in the combi booth here, and then I'll take you back home. Nice one. Hey, so thank you so much, Paul, for your time today. No worries. Absolute pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. Keep creating those beautiful images. I'll try. Thank you, mate. (laughs) Cheers. Hey, welcome back, and thanks for listening. How good was that? Did you enjoy that chat? I love listening to Paul. I love being shown around as a workshop through his caravan. I love being taken through the process of creating an image. It's so alien to me, someone who started in digital doesn't really know the film world, let alone 160-year-old tintype world. But it's super, super fascinating. And as someone who's a little bit of a geek when it comes to, to science and craft and technology, I found that really interesting. But what I found more interesting was the way that Paul works on an image, the way that things actually take some time to come together and the way that he collaborates. There's a lot of really, really cool things I took from Paul's interview. I, I love his sort of his triangle of life and the way that he goes from his job to his family, to his photography, and repeats that. And the thing is that he's aware of that, he knows that, and that works really well for him. I think that's cool. But anyway, onto the three sort of key takeaways that I've got from today's from today's chat. Number one, Paul said the word game changer a couple of times, but the first one that he talked about, right? He's got this old school process, and he was still trying to follow the old school way with natural light, sunlight, but he faced the same problems as 160 years ago, movement, blurry images. He almost jacked it in, but he didn't. He brought new technology, new solutions to an old problem, studio lights. Right? What's your problem? What are you trying to achieve the same way as everyone else? What are you trying to do the same way that it's always been done? I guarantee that there's something that you're doing that's always been done some certain way where you can bring a new solution to it and actually completely revolutionize what you're doing. Ponder on that for a little. I love the way that Paul is overcoming his hurdles, his frustrations, the way that he's pushing on. There's not really any kind of actionable takeaway from this here, but I've heard this a number of times with previous guests, the tenacity. It's quite easy to give up, quite easy to just pivot, change what you're doing. And sometimes that is necessary, but pushing on, being persistent, doggedly persistent, really has paid off for Paul. And I think a few of us can probably learn to just just stick in there just a little bit more. 
And finally, and I think you probably knew I was going to bring up this topic because it's come up <laughs> probably more than anything else throughout this whole series so far, is collaboration. It changes workflow. Again, another game changer. I've talked about collaboration before, but hey, here's another guest who has a partner, someone to help with the creative and the technical side. And he won't do a single photo shoot without her now. They bounce ideas back and forth. There's a sounding board. We all need a soundboard. We all need some constructive feedback. There's some advice out there, and I've probably dished this out myself at some stage, right, that just says, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep creating. If you just do more and more, you'll just get better. And the problem is that that's not true. The problem is that without the right sort of feedback loop, you're actually just going to continuously create the same average shit. You don't get better by doing more of the same. You get better by having a feedback loop. Paul's found someone whom he can work with and trust, who he can collaborate with, as I said, at both a technical level and a creative level. And his work, his images, and his enjoyment of that has increased as a result of this. I see this time and time again with photographers and other creatives. And I promise you that this idea of collaboration is just going to keep coming up in this podcast. And I'm going to keep ramming it home. Think about who and how you can collaborate. Simple, really. So there we go. Photographer Paul Olsop. I loved it. What do you think? Got anything useful to add? Let me know. And until next week, thanks again for listening. Love it. See ya. See ya.